Hello and welcome to the Mental Health Shelf podcast. My name is Jamie Skinner and in this podcast I invite a guest to bring five items or symbols that they believe have brought them joy and escape within their lives. And one by one we'll discuss these items and the effect that they've had gradually placing each one onto their own mental health shelf. Something to which they can look for escape when things may be getting a bit tough, when the world is getting to them. These items can be absolutely anything they want. Ticket stub, record player, golf ball, kazoo, although... That's a bit of a strange lineup, but slight strangeness is something that might be celebrated by my guest in this episode, who himself confesses to playing the idiot in the various pieces of on-air radio work that he does. One in the last episode, I spoke to Dom Chambers, whose radio career has spanned decades. Seb Bailey's is more towards the start. Over the last two years, he's gone from strength to strength, hosting shows on a number of national stations here in the UK, and things don't show much sign of slowing down anytime soon. I've known Seb as a friend and colleague at Summer Valley FM for a few years now and alongside having a conversation where I don't sing about how he lives on a boat, felt he might have some interesting choices for his mental health shelf, especially considering the constantly changing radio world around him. And so without any more rambling from me, here is Seb Bailey's Mental Health Shelf. In the last year and a half, my guest has presented on the likes of BBC Radio 1, Hits Radio and Rock FM, all while still hosting the Drive Time Show on Summer Valley FM and even finding time to DJ at clubs, festivals and be the match day DJ at Ashton Gate Stadium in Bristol. Welcome, Seb Bailey. How are you? That is the most insane introduction I've ever been given and I feel... Really, really proud of myself, given the fact you've just listed all of that off and I've never really reflected on it till this very second, so thank you. You're very welcome. You know, a year and a half, it is all quite a lot though, isn't it? It's absolutely insane. I mean, if you weren't aware that I was a freelancer, and without... I mean this, I'm worried I'm going to start sounding arrogant, so I don't mean this in an arrogant way. If you weren't aware I was a freelancer, you'd just assume I was job-hopping all the time. When you're at different stations, because obviously mm. each station has its own individual sound yeah. and style, how do you... Is it hard to adapt to that? Yeah, constantly. Absolutely constantly. I, I mean, there have been moments where, particularly when I was very, very busy... Wrong station names have slipped out. <laughs> Worse, when you don't correct yourself, wrong station phone numbers have slipped out. <laughs> um, and then also there's the mix match of every station. It's a bit like a music artist. Every station has their own sound. Every station has their own style. They have their own flow. And when you're racing between multiple, you naturally become a weird mishmash jigsaw that isn't meant to be a complete jigsaw of different styles in one and it has been a little bit intense at times because because when i've heard you on um, these different stations mm. it does seem like you kind of fit right in you kind of do capture their tone and style each time you know whether it is on something like radio one yeah or on something like hits you know two very different styles there yeah but you do seem to fit right in it. how much time does that take i d- oh, gosh it's i mean i've been doing radio since i was 18 i'm 26 yeah. now I finally made my way into being able to call this or what I class properly as a career in that it's become essentially my full-time job now. In the last year and a half to two years, six years in total till I got to that point. So eight years is where it goes. But I mean, I listened to back to stuff from this time last year. And again, I there's moments where I'm like, oh, I was quite good at that. I should probably teach myself that again. 
Or there's also elements of, oh, wow, I'm way better and more confident in myself since that point. So it's just a case of, I, th- I genuinely am a believer that if you put yourself through the motions of trying constantly, you naturally become good at something anyway. Because let's face it, when we all start learning something, we're never going to be the best. We can believe we're going to be the best, but we never quite are that. We're as good as we can be all the time in everything we do. Um, so from that point, you're constantly improving. So how long it takes, it it takes as long until you're happy. And admittedly, I'm the kind of personality that's so self-deprecating. I'm never happy. When you go back and kind of listen to your old stuff and yeah. kind of analyse it and try to improve on that, what's your mindset when you go into it? Do you go in trying to be self-critical? Yes and no. It depends. I mean, I will openly admit, and I openly admit to everyone, and this is, it's its taken me a long time in my life to get to this point. I, I have what I describe as a wobbly brain. I have days where I can, I have the personality of the most confident person you'll ever meet. And then I also have days where I'll be talking to someone in, in the offices at the radio stations or even being on air. And I will just be sat there almost thinking I should have called in sick today. Because I genuinely feel like what I'm presenting isn't good enough because my brain's giving me a mental block of I'm having a bad day. Um, So when it comes to going back and listening, that is also heavily dependent on how I'm feeling on the day. But at the same time, I I like to go back and listen to particularly the shows that I do when I'm on a bad day. Because it proves to me that I've come a long way and that I can consistently do things. And when it comes into what I look for when I'm doing uh, listening back, I I tend to, I don't look in to be self-critical. I look in to see how I've improved from last time uh, because it's so easy to say, I'll go and find the mistakes. But when it comes to how that adds up and works, like sometimes you focus too much on that. So when I listen back and I I, I air check myself or I've been doing it uh, with a program director in a meeting, my main focus is find three things that I will have improved on by the next time I listen back to something I've done myself. So that could simply be a case of removing a crutch, which is a phrase that I always say without really realising when I need to buy time, or getting better at telling the time. I'm, I'm notoriously bad at telling the time on the radio. It's small things like that, or it could simply be link flow. You need to slow down when you're talking because you're getting nervous, or you need to speed up because you're being too laid back and relaxed, which is also very easy to do when you're comfortable in a situation. So, yeah, I tend to look for those three points, work directly in the next session or radio show I do to improve one of those three points, because I've always found, naturally, if you focus on the one that is standing out to you the most, the other two will come together. You said when I listed off all those stations that you'd never really stop to think about it or reflect on it. This is kind of two things in one. First of all, do you find yourself kind of tending to look forward and just think about what's next, how you're improving? And secondly, do you ever really look back, even if it's on a show that you've just done and think, yeah, that was quite good? Going on your first point, particularly at the moment, it's, it's very very weird i i'm incredibly incredibly lucky to have done what i've been able to do in the last few years i i have a list of people as long as my arm that i one day really really hope to genuinely thank other than saying thank you 
Um, I don't know how I'll do that. My, one of my ideas is get all of the names tattooed on my arm. But at the same time, I realise if you don't understand, that looks a bit weird. Um, so, yeah, I'm constantly looking forward. I'm always looking to the next thing. When I think of ref- reflecting, it almost, to me, feels a bit like you're closing a chapter. And that's really weird because life is chapters, isn't it? It's things that happen in blocks that build into something. And because I'm still seeing myself very much in a building stage, I don't want to look back and be like, oh, I, I, I was insanely lucky to have done Radio 1 Early Breakfast because my brain in my career is going, one day I will be back doing Radio 1 Early Breakfast again. And But if I look back on that and go, oh, my God, this happened, that's my. I, I'm worried in my brain mentally I'm going to go, I've done that now, I don't need to do it again. And that's always, always an, an argument I have for myself. And then when it comes to looking back on shows, yeah, I can, I can have a really good show. Like, for example, Summer Valley Drive Time, every now and then something just connects. You can have a show that's a show and it's a good show, but when you have a great show, you feel it. And I'll walk out of here feeling a million bucks. And when it comes to stuff like that, it's it's simply a case of acknowledging it's happened. And, and sometimes it's as simple as that of, oh, I really enjoyed today's show. And I'll make sure that I direct people on online or however, if they may have missed it, how they can find it. When you're at these different stations, how do you make sure that you still come through as yourself? <laughs> uh, that's That's a difficult question. I, I mean, it's not a difficult question. It's difficult to sound professional answering the question, which I think is um, how I'm going to uh, best put it. I'm a stupid person, Jamie. Um, <laughs> I I love being an idiot. And that's because I am an idiot. And one thing I've learned working in radio is people like you, regardless of what you're presenting, because you're being yourself on air, that's a massive battle that I'm still fighting to this day. There's there's loads of little tiny things about people that r- rightfully you want to keep to yourself. But at the same time, there are moments where you need to be incredibly vulnerable on air. And coming to terms with those moments, whether that's a case of you're letting your personality go and you do a stupid voice just in the spur of the moment. Or, for example, on today's show, Summer Valley Drive Time, where for some random reason I had a challenge to myself and extended a note at the end of a song. No need to. But it's me. And I think that's how, although you've got the different flows and different styles between stations, as long as you can come across as yourself between that, like in commercial radio, you've got the nuts and bolts at the start of a link where it's like station name on the way you've just listened to, or not necessarily in that order, but sort of that, uh, and then your content, and then a throw forward at the end of it or something specifically station-related at the end you sometimes find it a bit difficult to do anything other than the nuts and bolts. And then you've got BBC Radio, which is incredibly personality-led, where you can just do a little bit like I get away with that Summer Valley FM, being stupid, and then the nuts and bolts afterwards. And as long as you find the balance and you find your way to be in to yourself out of anything, then you will, hopefully in this industry, I can't talk as if I'm a legend in this industry. I've been probably working in it for two years. I'm no Ken Bruce. But you will hopefully find yourself being able to work really hard and really well with it because people, regardless of how you are, whether you're introvert, extrovert, people will hear who you are and there is room for everyone in this world. 
Just before we move on, um, you uh, to continue on to the point of all the places you've been, we've spoken a couple of times about imposter syndrome yeah. and feeling it. Over time, with the different places you've been, because there are videos that have been on Twitter of you kind of dancing in the background of someone's interview, for example, <laughs> yes. you're clearly comfortable in that place. Yeah. Has the imposter syndrome died down over time? No, never. I've, I think... I, I, someone who I'm good friends with who has literally been part of my life since I started working in radio at 18, a man called Tony Wright. He presents for Greatest Hits Radio across the southwest of England. Um, really, really great bloke. Used to do breakfast show on The Breeze when The Breeze was a thing. Um, has done a million and one things before even I ever met him. He told me not too long ago regardless of where you're presenting in the country and who you're presenting to, you are as important as anyone is made out to be if they're broadcasting nationally from London or Manchester in some cases or wherever in the country they are presenting from. They are listening to you for a reason. Now, in lots of music radio like I do, it's often the music, but in between, they don't know where you are. They don't care where you are. Unless you specify where you are, you could be that important person in London. You could be that person getting them through the day. So I feel like I feel more comfortable with imposter syndrome because whilst that's an insane thing that he made me aware of, he equally presented it as a comfort in that people trust you. And it's helped a lot. So like in the office spaces imposter syndrome yeah it it disappears particularly when you get used to being in a space but when i'm in a new building i'm quiet i'm not kind of my my bubbly stupidness immediately until i'm aware of how i can be in that space and then on air you're constantly thinking what if there's someone better than me or not better than me sorry but what if i'm not good enough for who i'm talking to today because again I have that trust of them listening to the station I'm on and therefore listening to me. What are your techniques for easing? Because when I, my kind of thing of imposter syndrome is I tend to feel it when at a film festival. So if I'm at yeah. London Film Festival, for example, I've been a couple of years in a row now and I'll be stood there early in the morning in this queue and in front of me will be this group of very established journalists who all yeah. have a very tight-knit group. And I'll kind of be there thinking what am I doing here? And the thing that kind of eases me in is just turning to the person next to me, whether it's in the screening room, whether it's in the queue, and just saying, have you seen anything decent so far? And it's those gradual conversations, realising we're all here for the same reason. We just mm. all really like films. What are your kind of easing in techniques, if if you have any? I This sounds... I mean, if you've ever witnessed... If you're listening and I've worked with you in the last 12 years and you've seen me do this, I hope this suddenly provides a tiny bit of context to you because it can look very weird. Um, I like to sit in a corner. I, 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 I'm someone, I'm like this in restaurants, I don't like being exposed to being in the centre of a room unless there's a reason to be there. Now, sitting at a table eating food is a reason to be there. But I'd much rather have my back to a wall so that I can just take everything in. Um, and that just comes down to me simply ha- having anxiety. Mm. So when it comes to stuff like that, 
I, I did this at Radio 1 when I was able to go there and be part of Early Breakfast um, April last year. I would, after the show, because before the, you go live, you're in work at four in the morning, your brain's going, I need coffee and I need to <laughs> fucking wake up. Um, so you're thinking adrenaline, adrenaline, adrenaline. Afterwards is when you can get comfortable in your situation when you're new there. And I would. I just went and I sat. It, it, it did look very weird. I can't lie. I, and I'm very sorry to... Um, admittedly Greg and his team particularly Will who at one point did look at me as if to just say are you okay everything all right Seb um because in short I was just sat in the corner of the live lounge at Radio 1 kind of like over here I was like over in the corner of the room like right over here just kind of going oh this is cool (laughs) just like sat in the corner of a room like having the time of my life just looking around, smiling, because I was yeah. like, this is where I am. This is insane. And just, but that process, although I'm just sat there, not talking to anyone, but just like having the time of my life helps me feel better and more comfortable in the environment. It makes me aware that I'm allowed to be there. I've earned my space there. Um, other ways of helping is other people talking to me first. I really struggle to talk to people. Mm. I, I, I know that sounds weird. I'm a, Lipping radio presenter, I should be able to talk to people. But I'm someone who, without context, struggles a little bit. So unless someone's uh, come up to me with a reason to uh, to introduce themselves, I need a reason to talk to someone. So, for example, I can meet someone brand new, and I'll be like, oh, hey, what's your name? How are you? Blah, blah, blah. And then, because I start the conversation, my brain goes, oh, God, you need to think of what to say next. And that's when I go, all right, okay, sweet. And I'll get on with it. And I know I can sound like an asshole doing that. I genuinely don't mean it that way, but that's why I sit in an environment and yeah. I kind of wait to have something to say. Um, and I do that and it helps with imposter syndrome massively because long story short, it makes me feel like I'm sitting in on my sofa at my lounge. I mean, if you listen particularly on Summer Valley FM, which arguably is the station where I'm most comfortable on because I've been on the station for eight years now, which is quite scary to think about. I, I do sometimes, I mean, sometimes when I'm having a rough day. I'm like, right, I need to just, nail everything to make sure it's consistent when i'm having a great day i could say anything i could not swear but i could say anything and you'd be like oh sweet it's like he's talking to me in the pub Hmm. and that's generally what i aim for so if i can get myself in that place where i start to feel like that that's how i combat it it's combination of once i feel comfortable being stupid and when i don't feel comfortable taking in the space so i know what to expect even down to the smell of it Hmm makes me sound like a dog (laughs) (laughs) with with that element of being comfortable i think the same thing kind of comes when you want to be open and Mm. you know you're discussing things emotionally which we have done you know a couple of times talking about frustrations and stresses when arranging this you said to me something along the lines of buy me a bottle of vodka and then i'll be able to be emotionally (laughs) open yes I can't say I've bought you a bottle of vodka. No, you have not. No, because uh, I presume that would be expensive. But just in case you need it... Expensive as we... and just probably a bit silly. got to drive home. Uh, yeah, and uh, just in case you need it or want it, uh, if, uh, you know, while discussing your emotions during this, I did buy you a packet of wine gums. Oh, yes! It's got wine in the title, it'll be okay. I know, and... Uh, uh, not for doggies, sorry. Milo's in, my dog Milo's in the studio with us whilst we record this, so thank you for allowing that, Jamie. You are very welcome. Please. That was very, very noisy. Yeah, let's get on to your mental health shelf, which at the moment is a little bit empty, but the things that also help bring that comfort and escape and, you know, I guess ease you into something. What's your first item? Well, this is the thing. I'm someone who's quite spontaneous. Yeah. 
that process kind of worked for me today because I, I messaged you earlier before we started recording. I was like, I haven't thought of anything yet. But when it comes to stuff like that, sometimes when you go, right, what makes me happy? What, what makes me happy? The instant things help, don't they? So I went for the spontaneous factor today. I was, I was just thinking what really makes me feel better or happy Great. I, I, the million and one words you can use for mindfulness and comfort. The or the five things I got. Some of them make sense. Some of them are confusing. Give me a give me a random number between one and five. We can just start there. Four. Four. Uh-huh. Spaghetti bolognese. See, I know you love this, and I, <sighs> we've spoken about how this is a huge comfort food for you. Yes, I just I, I love spag bol. It's and genuinely. I, I think I don't have a digital account with any supermarket, but I'm pretty sure if I did, I'd be the biggest person in my area for <laughs> buying mincemeat, tin tomatoes when they're available, <laughs> um, onions, garlic. Um, what else goes in a bolognese? Technically not, but mushrooms. I like mushrooms in bolognese and pasta. And I just live off of those. Um, it's insane. I, I, it reminds me of being young and when I didn't need to care about anything. Like, childhood can and was a little bit difficult, but everything was okay if I had spaghetti bolognese. If I, like, and my mum, Ardebs, if you listen to me on the radio, you'll know it was Ardebs, recognised that and she was a great mum for that. She knew that that was what would um, cheer me up a lot, sorry. That's all right. Um, and it just reminded me of happy things. It, it reminds me of being at home. The ironic thing is, what makes me really happy about it now is also what frustrates me about spaghetti bolognese is the fact that I now make better bolognese than my mum. <laughs> and I'm not ashamed to say that. Um, like my mum likes to experiment with food now. She's getting to a crazy old lady phase, bless her. Um, so she'll be like, oh, I put some celery in it. I don't like celery, mum. Oh, but, but what about these parsnips I put in it? I need to cook them, so I put in bolognese. And I'm just like, plain, simple. I, I like adding mushrooms. They shouldn't really be in there, granted. But I like doing that, and I'm aware I make a better one than her now. But sometimes I'll go around hers, and I'll just get that smell, and it will transport me back to being... I don't know, a kid, just just a kid, even into teenager years when I was struggling massively with mental health. Mm. And sometimes I'd walk her in from school if she was able to be home from work, and um, and the smell would hit you, and instantly it would be like, right, today's the rest of today is going to be okay. Today's over. I can be lazy. I can sit in the back room and play GTA on my PS2. Or I can sit and watch TV with mum if I want to. Or I can go upstairs into my room and make loads of noise playing loads of loud music and being an angsty teenager. That's what spaghetti bolognese does for me. And sometimes, like everything in life, I'll make a spag bowl and it doesn't go how you want it to. But it only means the next time you try and do it is going to be better. And it reminds me of that. So providing it doesn't go off... I'd like to put spaghetti bolognese on my mental health shelf, please. That's absolutely fine. The thing that, the cliche thing that comes to mind, and, you know, you'll probably instantly recognise this, is the bit in Ratatouille. <laughs> yes. Is it like that for you? It is a lot. There, there's moments where I'll, um, um, it, it sounds mad, um, where, yeah, I'll just take a bite 
and that's what it does. And there's there's been moments where like there's one time, and, and this is also going to sound weird, eating Italian food when you were in Greece. Um, we're lucky enough to go on a family holiday when we're kids and went to Greece, went to um, the island of Kos, which is an amazing, amazing place, or at least I remember it being an amazing place. I haven't been there in years. I mean, looking back on it as an adult, when I was a young and moaning, I mean, it's amazing. In hindsight, I wish I'd been, able, been aware enough to be like, this is insane. I can't wait to go back one day. But in Coztown, there's, or at least there was, I don't know if it's still there, um, an Italian restaurant. And the reason we ended up eating at this Italian restaurant is because we weren't pestered to eat there. And sometimes walking through particularly the main high streets, people would have, there'd be waiting staff on the door. Oh, yeah, please come sit down, eat in our restaurant. It's amazing. The food is great as they kind of usher you in. The only restaurant that didn't do that. Now, my mum, she is a rock. And if she doesn't like the vibe of something, she's not going to go through with it. And this restaurant, it was, they had the person there waiting and they're just like, oh, hey, yeah. If you want to sit, you know, but if you want to carry on, that's no problem at all. Where, bear in mind, there's other restaurants around just looking at us like we're prey. And I went, yeah, all right. And we just sat in because there was no pressure. And we sat in and we had this really, really nice Italian meal. And the other day I made a bolognese that tasted exactly like the one I had in that restaurant. And I was transported back to that holiday um, where I was being <laughs> dragged around Coztown uh, in, like, 32-degree heat at the age of, I think, nine. So, yeah, sometimes it properly is that Ratatouille moment where you just... Suddenly, your internal TV is broadcasting memory to you. It is the kind of, in this case, very definition of comfort food, isn't it? Oh, I, I love it so much. I, do, I really, really do. It, and it, it sounds weird because it's... Such, I mean, like you can enjoy food. It, it it makes it mad, but or maybe it makes perfect sense. I'm a bit reluctant to order it if I'm at a restaurant mm. because I'm worried it will ruin it for me because I'm so used to it being how I like it, which is either by me, which is really really good, or either by my mum, which is on the scale of worrying now with parsnips in. Is there anything else, uh, kind of food related or like that, on your list? Yes. <laughs> Should we go to that? Yeah, I, I mean, food is a big thing. If you, Again, if you listen on the radio, food is weirdly one of my most common content themes. Um, I've written a milkshake, specifically an Oreo milkshake. It's a mood booster for me. Borderline an addiction. It's, it's a fun treat. Milkshakes, again, everything I'm going to talk about is probably going to stem back to childhood. Um... But those are those formative years. Sorry to interrupt. Those yeah. are those formative years where you kind of discover those things yeah. that can bring you calm and just where you begin to kind of form that understanding of control in a way. Yeah, and it's like Oreo milkshakes. I never actually started having specifically Oreo flavored milkshakes till I was twenty, but I loved milkshakes hmm. because milkshakes to me meant a good treat. Milkshakes is what we got when we went to McDonald's, which was a big treat for us. Yeah. Um, so for me, I was like, oh my God, Mood Booster, this is amazing. Um, so I always, always will end up getting myself or making myself an Oreo milkshake on the worst possible days, on the best possible days, or a day that I feel like I've helped someone. I mean, I think it kind of makes sense. If you treat yourself when you're feeling bad, 
it releases some endorphins. As long as you don't rely on that as a way out of that feeling and you acknowledge I'm feeling like this, which is why I'm doing this, then you can start to process your way out of that slump. If you do it when you're feeling high, you're like, this is a <laughs> this is a reward and it's amazing. Um, and it just continues to boost your mood even more, probably because excessive sugar intake. And if you do it when you feel like you've helped someone or you've genuinely made a difference in the day, that that's when it really, really matters. Because let's face it, at the end of it, it's a bit like if you've been out in the hot sun all day and your mate texts you a beautiful three-letter word with a question mark at the end, which is the word pub. And you then, it's a beautiful summer's day, out in a beer garden. It's a bit like that, but my own version of. And you kind of, I, like, whenever I, I get one, and it's particularly because I feel like I've made a difference, or I feel like I've particularly helped someone today, then it's my moment to sit probably in my car, because I tend to drive places. Um, sit back and just kind of sip and be like, that happened, and hopefully something good will come of it. Because I'm always, always, where I can, I will try and help. Yeah. Um, But also, at the same time, if you're constantly trying to help people, but you don't acknowledge you've done that, that can also make you spiral in its own way, because then you feel like you're never doing any good. Um, You can always feel like you're walking over yourself. uh, Because you can, it's so easy, particularly myself, to be so negative and be like, oh, I keep doing this, why, why haven't anything happened nice to me that's not the case because the world works beautifully in the fact that you'll get your good karma bad karma when you're ready for it but in the meantime you can intervene and do something nice for yourself in the right abilities so yeah milkshakes particularly oreo milkshakes that point of acknowledgement it's something that i think that goes for everyone Mm. really you know just being able to sit there and tell ourselves that mm. we, because obviously there's the whole thing of we are our own worst critic. We yeah. may dwell on the, but what if this happened or I could have done this better? But allowing yourself to kind of sit in that moment and realize that you've done a good thing or that something has gone well or right for you, is it something that you've got better at doing perhaps or that you've allowed yourself to do more? I've tried to. Yeah. Um, a big one, as an example, will be um, what I did last night from the day this was recorded. Mm. Um, last night could arguably have been a, just just the most realistic dream I've ever been in. I, I, as you said at the start of recording, it's like I am the match day DJ for Ashton Gate, but for the last six years, I think of doing it. I have been the matchday DJ at Ashton Gate, also sort of dubbed as audio engineer who runs a lot of things that you hear in the stadium via a box that looks out on the pitch. Last night, um, Manchester City were in town to play Bristol City in the FA Cup and I was given the opportunity to actually DJ in the stadium in front of 20, almost 26,000 people. I still haven't sat back and acknowledged that's happened yet. Everything seems like a big dream. But if I don't sit back and acknowledge that, then my brain could quite possibly just forget it. Because 
when things like that happen and it's a one-off and it's a treat, it's absolutely amazing. And that's when you need to really take in because I'm more than happy doing match days as I do. But that being that one-off occasion was absolutely amazing. And, I mean, I didn't even get the chance really whilst DJing to kind of stand there and just look at what I was doing. Have you kind of just reflected on it in at this moment in time as you're kind of describing that? Probably, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of what's going to make me realise what's going on, because obviously a massive sport in occasions like that, everyone's videoing, everyone's taking photos. Me being me and me being an idiot, as we have already discovered as well, um, I forget. So I rely on people around me. And if I know them, so I've been really lucky that some of my friends have sent me some photos. And I want to see if any more turn up because then I can sit on my sofa and I know it sounds ridiculous and really vain, but sit on my sofa at home, cuddling my dog Milo and just flick through these and be like, I did that. Because until I see the grand scale of what happened... There's no word that <laughs> there's no words to describe how it really went down. Mm. Um, so yeah, acknowledging in the moment, like now, just describing what I did helps it feel more normal. <laughs> um, because as far as I'm concerned, I'm a kid who grew up in Kentsham with massive ambition, scared to death of speaking in public talking to strangers being in a crowd i i get terrified in big crowds um i mean obvious reasons why lots of people and sometimes it's unpredictable but being able to do all of uh, fulfill a massive dream last night um make kitty seb proud with the big ambitions, stand in a crowd, admittedly spaced out in their seats, but stand in the crowd without trying to sound like an arsehole, almost conducting them, 25,000 of them. Why, why the fuck does that deserve to happen to Seb, who grew up in Gainsham, who suffered from insomnia when he was a little kid, Instead of someone else who probably had the same dream and potentially the same problems. Like, why me? You're in your element. It, it's what you wanted to do. Yeah. I'll give you a moment. <laughs> Christ. <sighs> Jesus Christ, you thought Jamie Skinner would be my therapist? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, man. No, it's fine. That's absolutely, you know, that's the natural course that it's taken. Yeah. Don't apologise for your emotions in this case. At least it's about mental health. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, no, don't apologise. Shall we move on to your third item? Yes. Yes, let's do that. Um, it's interesting. There's There's a theme amongst two of them, and then the last big one, which I'll save till last. Um, <laughs> okay is very career-related, which is mm. interesting. But the other two are very nature-related. 
as far as I'm concerned. So I'm going to move on to um, Green River Water. If you're listening, you don't know me. I live on a boat. It was a childhood dream. A lot of things I do all stem around childhood dreams, funnily enough. Um, My childhood dream was to live on a boat one day. And when it came to me moving out, as we're all well aware, there's a massive housing crisis in the UK. And I was ready to move out of home. I, I, the reason I knew that is because as much as I love my mum and my mum loves me and same with my sister, she'd do anything. She'd, if, if, if the world fell apart for us, she'd welcome us back home and we could live there and get ourselves back on our feet. And I have no doubt about that. But it was getting to the point where we were arguing quite a bit to, um, just to kind of get by. We felt, I, I really felt like I was stepping in on her space in the end, because I wanted my own space. So naturally you start to become more independent. Oh, I'm going to do this today, I'm going to do that. But at the same time, I mean, maybe this is me just kind of growing up in the, in the world where everyone else I grew up around with was brought up in a world before me. I believe that regardless of who you are to the person, if it's their house, you should kind of just respect those rules respect the boundaries they set particularly and not demand things. And I, I suddenly realised, like, I'm getting to the point where I need to have that for myself because I'm trying to, weirdly, it felt like I was trying to subconsciously take that from my mum. And that feels horrible to say. And so I I was looking for houses and stuff. I, I tried to buy some flats fell through a house. I tried to buy a Newport, fell through. I tried to buy a house in Hannam, fell through. And then, I don't know if you've done this, Jamie. I know a lot of people do that are our age. Because it's almost like a game for us. You go on right move or Zoopla, you search somewhere you want to live one day, and you look at all the houses, no way in hell you can ever afford. Mm-hmm. And I was doing that with the village next to Cajun called Saltford, where if you're from the area, you'll know... Everything's a bit expensive there. <laughs> and it just by pure chance, I looked at the listings and I went, I was just scrolling down, going, oh yeah, that's nice. Just scrolled past something, kind of caught my eye. I went, hold up a minute, I could afford that one. And I scrolled back up and I was like, that oh, was a boat. That's mad. Um, so I, I went, I remember this quite plain as day. I went running down the stairs to talk to mum. I went, mum, 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 I think I found somewhere that could be really cool. She was like, oh, yeah, what's this? Just expecting it to be, like, another house that's going to fall through and another two grand dropped on solicitor's fees for a house I don't own. And I went, it's a boat. And she went, oh, that's amazing. Because growing up, one of the things that I did as a kid, which I think helped mum an awful lot as well, because it got me off of her hands a little bit, I was in the scouts. And one scout leader who uh, goes by the name of Bruce... He lived on a boat and essentially before I even joined the scouts, we conveniently met him because we'd often walk by the river because I, I just fucking loved boats. <laughs> and we we happened to just meet Bruce when he was moving his boat around anyway. And his boat was always moored by Canesham's marina. And so he was coming through Canesham lot one day and we're like, oh, hey, Bruce. And like got to know him over time. Anyway, fell out of contact with him. Then turned out he was one of the leaders of the scout group I was in. Which was amazing because suddenly I, I was 
had a background with someone I knew already. I could talk to comfortably in this space where I felt very out of place. And, but for context, my dad passed away when I was one years old. So I kind of just grew up without that element. Like, and granted, it was a lot easier on me than it was my sister, at least I believe it was, because my sister knew my dad. She was like five, I think, almost six when he passed away. And so for her, she definitely processed grief massively at an early age. I was a baby, and I dare say, whilst I was aware there was a change, I don't have any massive distinct memories. Um, so I, I didn't have that father figure. And Bruce really, really helped be that. I, I, potentially without even intending to be. I don't even, even know if he knew that my dad had passed away. Um, and he... And like on the weekends and stuff, particularly in summer, very rarely in winter, because you don't want to do stuff outside in winter, really. Um, occasionally you get a phone call, or my mum would get a phone call, said, all right, Dad, we're taking the boat out this weekend. Does everyone want to come down? We've got a few people coming down. We're going to have a barbecue at bits, and then we'll be back by six o'clock in the evening. And the first time my mum came with us, and then every now and then it would just be me and him, or it'd be me, him, and his partner who I think I remember being called Sue. Um, and it just got my brain going, you know what? I could live like this. I, If I really need to get up and go, I can, which is kind of ironic because I like having a plan and knowing where everything's going to be. But it has helped. I, I, living on a boat has really helped me manage to escape a couple of times, particularly during lockdown, which I can get onto in a minute if you're interested. Um and so I found this boat, um, went running down, and I booked in to see the boat. Turns out the estate agent helping to sell the boat, which I'll, I'll officially, it, it's called Hullabaloo. It's a lovely, lovely boat, so much character in her. Um, and it turned out the estate agent knew my mum, so we had a family connection there. So everything felt very right. Um so I went and looked at the boat and I just kind of stepped on and and it's a bit like when you get home and you see a dog everything felt as it should and so I just kind of stepped in looked around the 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 owner Lou bless her is a really really nice friend a good friend of mine now I work with her quite a lot outside of radio she'd done everything she could to be like let's make it sellable like they say bake cookies to make it feel homely when you're selling a house she put the log burner on. Jamie, I'm telling you, I am a sucker for a log burner. <laughs> I love it. I, I, I don't get to use it as much as I'd like to because wood is expensive, but it's a brilliant source of heating for the boat when it gets very, very cold. And it was a bit of a chilly day in February. Um, I, think, I think it was February the 2nd I went to go visit the boat four years ago. So that was on. It was a bright, sunny day. Everything felt right. I stepped on this boat and I was just like... I'm going to buy this boat. I just decided and I looked up and down the boat and obviously you're looking with drunk goggle eyes when you first see something that you really like. You're like, oh my God, this is amazing. So decided I was going to buy the boat, put the offer in the boat that the offer was accepted, I think, the day after. Um, and it all stemmed to this childhood dream of doing that. And one thing I remember so distinctly of that day of going to view Hullabaloo for the first time 
was the fact that the river water was this most beautiful emerald green. Um, which sounds a bit weird because you expect rivers to look brown or mucky or in the summer occasionally a little bit clear. Um, but on a really good weather day, um, or a day like today when we're recording, when there's not many clouds in the sky, the weather's all right, it's not too hot, not too cold. It's just this beautiful shade of green on the surface. You just kind of like, it looks like a shimmer. It's really, really sweet. And it just reminds me of a moment I found in real independence and being relaxed. And one thing I love to do, particularly this morning when it was like this, I... Like, okay, granted, Milo, if he had his way, he'd be walking all day, every day, and we wouldn't stop. Um, But our normal walk route is right along the river because we live there. And it was just lovely. And I love it on days like that when we can walk like that because I just look at it. I can do deep breaths. We end up normally in a field where we turn. But before we leave that field, I always take time to do some mindfulness. If I'm listening to music, I'll stop playing the music and I'll close my eyes. And I'll try my best to make Milo sit next to me, but he's often off causing absolute mayhem in a bush or something. And I just listen to what's going on around me. So, like, normally I close eyes and you're not far from the bypass from Saltford into Bath. So you can hear the traffic in the distance. You can hear the birds in the trees, like, up on the hill. And I can often hear Milo's tail on the grass. And then you open your eyes, you're in this beautiful countryside surrounding. And then... Emerald Green River, and that's what really, really makes me happy, is when I'm like, you know what, we live in the world, and okay, being a human in this world is not easy, we haven't made it easy for ourselves, but small moments like that really make life worth living. It, it Okay, granted, like last night, Ashton Gate, yeah, that makes life worth living, but that's a massive high that if you're not careful, you end up chasing and then you fall off a cliff with burnout or whatever. When you can take a moment for yourself and in my case, look at Emerald Green River, then you go, you know what? I'm lucky. I have a roof over my head. At the moment, I'm very grateful that I can afford my bills. And I've got the most amazing puppy dog in the world who I cannot describe as saved me so many times whether that's mentally got me out of trouble the other day I had an anxiety attack on the boat and he recognised that before I even did and he just did the most amazing thing that just kind of sounds weird but kind of sat on me because I was on the ground rocking and just reminded me he was there for me Um, and small moments like that just helped me list off kind of mundane shit but it's the mundane shit that makes you realize you're doing all right and you can keep going and when you do that on a bad day um it's difficult granted and i spend longer there and i can get frustrated so when i do that mindfulness it really helps particularly when i open eyes to just go it's right kid you're 26 there's a lot more in front of you than there is behind you and whatever happens, you will work it out eventually, even if it's the awful, most awful thing in the world. You said there was another kind of nature-related item yes. on your shelf. Do you, do you want to go under that one? Yeah, of course. Um, Blaze Castle Estate okay. in Bristol. Um, a number of reasons. 
Um, I've written some of them down. Uh, deep breaths, friends, cricket, COVID, and escape are what I've written. Blaze Castle was one of the places I escaped to during lockdown. Um, during lockdown, you were allowed one walk a day. I was very, very lucky because I was presenting here that I was classified as a key worker. I could travel. And on days where I needed an escape from... It feels mad. I feel so ungrateful saying this out loud. And I know... and I, 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 I no idea if you'll hear this, and I hope you don't mind me name-checking you, but Greg James, he's been open about this. In that, in lockdown, it was such a pit of sadness trying to help everyone forget what was going on. Um, I mean, coming in here every day, being furloughed from my nine-to-five job was an escape in itself. It gave me the opportunity to get particularly to the level I am now at. Um, and with that, I am so, so grateful, particularly to Summer Valley FM, Give me a chance because before that I did one week, one show a week presenting dance and party music where I just said, Oh my god, it's Saturday night, we're gonna have a great fucking time tonight. Like, well, I didn't say fucking on the radio, but um, we're gonna have a great time tonight, lads. Um, so then being thrown into having to do personality based radio and find content that was fun and distracted people and took people away from maybe the fact that they lived alone like I did and trying to remind potentially that person who hadn't seen close family or friends for two or three months when some people were probably like me, naive enough to think, ah, be three weeks, months tops, and we'll be back to normal. Fuck me, was I wrong, man? I, I just... And, and when it really, really hit is when we had the first set of rule changes. So I'd been... When we kind of went into a lockdown, you were still allowed, if you lived alone, you're still allowed to see one person outside of your household, which I elected to be my mum. And I think ultimately it's because she makes me feel very safe. Mm. Um, also, she had better internet than me, so I could work from her house instead <laughs> of the boat. Um, so th th there was reasons on both sides for it. Anyway, so I was doing my 9 to 5 there, but then we had the first set of rule changes and... Me and mum kind of sat down and it was like either a case of I move back in, in which case then what's the point in owning my boat? And I've, my brain was like, oh, you're moving backwards in that way. The other point being that like to keep her safe because I still had the opportunity to work. It ensured that she was okay because she was hospital staff anyway. So occasion, occasionally she had to go and she's office based, but she was, um, but she would occasionally have to go to the hospital and also... She just had a really, really bad chest infection, so she was very vulnerable. Uh, so we had this discussion, and we're like, you know what? You, she was like, I don't want to give you this. You don't want to give me this. And we came to the decision, okay, right, that's fine. I'll sort out my internet issue on the boat. So I started working from home, and then I was furloughed from that 9 to 5. And in the first few weeks, I kind of did what everyone else did, which was like, oh, yeah, break. This is excellent. Like I can sit back, relax, don't need to worry about anything for a while. And then it got to a month, and I was like, oh, flipping hell, this is 
this is bad. This is going on. And that's when I got the opportunity to come in and do drive time. I think it was twice a week because the person who did it at that point in time was vulnerable. Um, long story short, I was only used to doing short, snappy links. Suddenly I had to be myself and I had to find ways to be entertaining and fun, distract people and be their escape potentially. Because regardless of how you listen to the radio and regardless as a presenter, whether you're on national radio talking to potentially millions of people or you're on a small hyper-local station like Summer Valley FM, like the point I said earlier, you are being listening to for a reason and you are there escape, you are creating a community of people in that moment. Like whether it's a situation of you just press play on a song, you can press play on any song and you know someone that's listening is not going to like it and you know someone that's listening is going to go, oh, this is amazing, I love this moment, it's a great song and it just makes you feel good. And it's about acknowledging that. And, I, I mean, that is how I got into radio as part of is acknowledging that that community exists. Um, that could be a whole bloody podcast episode in itself. Actually, it's probably going to be part of my last point. But back to what I'm trying to get to. <laughs> Sorry, Jamie. No, it's fine. Um, we needed an escape as presenters. And as I said earlier, Greg James said he was really struggling to the point where he, he said in one of his articles that he was genuinely considering stepping down from the Radio 1 breakfast show because in moments where everything everyone else is having turmoil, if you're there to provide an outlet and entertainment, you feel lost at sea. You, you genuinely feel like you're in the middle of Atlantic Ocean, middle of the night, with no light around you, and you'd be lucky if you've got a car wash sponge as a buoyancy aid, or at least that's how I felt at times. So sometimes... I would use my ability to be able to drive around. And I go to Blaze Castle. Sorry, so that's why Blaze Castle's on my list. We got there eventually, Jamie. Um, and this was way before Milo was born or existed, was a part of my life uh, in COVID. And I would just go there. I'd just walk. Because particularly that year, of the, fir- the first year of lockdown, I we we were really lucky with the weather. I mean, you could be say that actually we're really unlucky because the weather encouraged people to go out and it made things worse. Um, I want to stress that whilst I was out and about, I didn't come in contact with anyone. But I'd go there, I'd do deep breaths, I'd do mindfulness. It would be my escape because the Blaze Castle estate is amazing. The forest around it is insane. There's a point when you get to the top of the hill where the castle actually is and you can keep walking just a tiny, tiny bit, and you get yourself to a cliff edge. There's a big fence. But you look out, and you're like, wow, this is how high I've climbed. And I've and the first time I did that, I really struggled with the walk. And I was like, that's an achievement to be here. And then I looked out, and I could see bits of Westbury on Trim, I think, kind of out towards um, Wales. Um, and it really helped. And one thing, when we could start seeing friends again, that I did, I made... All of my mates that I could get hold of and that were willing to be there, we we I made them all go to Blaze Castle. And when I say I made them, I I remember now what I wrote in the group chat. I I was begging them. I was like, please, I re- we I know we all know it exists, but we're gonna go here and we're gonna have the best time ever. And everyone's like, Seb, it's just trees in a fucking field. Like, what's what are we gonna do up there? That's so amazing. And I was, I was adamant. I was like, we've got to go to Blaze Castle. We, we can 
bring a bit of beer, we can have a barbecue, we can play card games. I, I don't know. We, we, we need to go to Blaze Castle. I was like, I, I was hooked on this place because I wanted to show off where I'd been running away for life uh, for the last, I don't, I don't know, 18, 24 months, however long lockdown was. So we ended up going one time and we played a game of cricket and it was the most hilarious game of cricket I've ever played in my life because none of us are any fucking good at cricket. <laughs> and one of my favourite ever memories is of my friend Molly. I love Molly so much. She's an amazing, amazing person. Because she's someone who, no matter what you throw at her, she finds a way either around it or if she can't find a way around it, she will do a bloody hardest to make it work because I hope she doesn't mind me saying this she's ever so slightly dyspraxic um now being dyslexic so somewhat in the regions of that area I get it normal stuff can be a bit difficult if not very difficult especially if you're dyspraxic and the one memory I have of that one trip I begged my mates to do is the fact that she managed to do a cricket bowl which was arguably the best cricket bowl I've ever seen and now I watch cricket over the summer quite a bit and it was better than some of the pros and the reason it was better than some of the pros is that as she swung her arm up and over normally you're doing one step to another but she managed to find a way to be completely off the ground <laughs> like but she didn't jump she just kind of like it genuinely to me looked like she I don't know she was like stepping into it but then just lifted up her other foot that was supporting her, and she kind of flew. And I was like, I, I just couldn't get my head around it. And that's absolutely amazing. And that's why, amongst the escape and amongst the moments alone, the moment I sat at the castle till pitch black one summer's evening in, I think, July, I just kind of went up there after the show. And then walking, then driving from where the station is, to the estate and then I walked up this hill and you walk through all the trees all the woodland and sunsets and what in the middle of July like 8, 9pm um, so I got up there probably about half 8 got there and I was like you know what this is just lovely I was going to sit there it was warm it was beautiful I was just in a t-shirt I was in my shorts um, nothing to worry about because I'd escaped and I sat there and I just let the sunset. And then before I knew it, it was pitch black around me and it was beautiful. I could see stars and amazing. And I was like, oh crap, it's 11 o'clock at night. I probably should go. And I just walked back down. And I knew the route. I had my torch light on my phone because, you know, it's a bit freaky. But I felt very safe there. And it's very weird because it's like you're in a woodland in the middle of the night. And most this is how most horror films bloody start. But I felt at home. I'd made that place my sanctuary for a very small blip of my life because I haven't been back there since kind of that summer, that first summer post-lockdown. Is that just because you've been busy or has there been a part of you that just doesn't want to because you're happy with the memories that you've got there? I th <sighs> it's a bit of both to some extent. To start with, it was because I was busy. I think now, when I look back on it, I think a lot of it's down to me saying that was my sanctuary for that time and place. 
And if I go back, part of me thinking about it now in this moment is going, well, if it's not the same. Mm. Um, the other part of me was going there to escape trauma. And by going back there again now, when life is relatively abbreviated commas normal, um, I'll be revisiting that. And that's where I went to forget what I was processing, having not seen any of my family for six months mm. or none of my mates for most of that time as well. And stressing in my head, like thinking, what's what's going to happen? And that's where I left a lot of that trauma. And I think particularly that's why I begged my friends to go with that that one time because I needed that final memory of that place well, it wasn't shit scared. Mm. Where I can look back at it and smile. Because everything else, I went there, did what I do now, I went and cried. I went there and wondered what the fuck is the point at times. Because it's, it's beautiful there. And beautiful places remind you of how amazing life can fucking hell. <sighs> how amazing life can be, but equally how shit it is at times. <laughs> and I like to just kind of leave it there. But it does make me happy to think about. All the things you've kind of chosen so far have to do with escape and kind of being in the moment. And you've referenced the fact that your final item to put onto your shelf has something to do with your career, but does it have those same links? Yes and no. It's mainly because um, when I think about this this thing, what, boy, help me. Jesus Christ. <laughs> How am I going to get through this subject? I'm already crying about it. Um, when I think about this place and this thing, it makes me realise how far I've come. Yeah. Like, personal battles I've been through to get. Take the time you need. <sighs> oh, that's coffee. Coffee's definitely up. At least I don't need that vodka, Jamie. <laughs> um, long story short, my final thing I want to put on my mental health shelf is the Radio 1 logo. And it sounds ridiculous. And I'm sorry if you happen to stumble across this as a boss of another radio station I've worked at because you're going to go, oh, but what about me? And it's nothing to do with favouritism at all. Um, it's the fact that, believe it or not, Radio 1 really, really helped me stay alive when I was a teenager. Mm. I spent most of my teenage... Fuck. I spent most of my teenage years unable to sleep. 
so I'd go to bed as normal. Um, maybe catnap, swords of, and kind of just hope for the best. Um, and essentially, it kind of started when I started spiraling into depression as a teenager. And um, the only thing next to my bed on the nights I really couldn't sleep was my radio. I could only get one station, and it was Radio 1. So in the car, if mum was listening to radio, it was often Radio 2, or, I mean, one of the big BBC stations, because, I mean, I don't know if she knew a commercial radio existed. I didn't until I was 18. I was like, wow, Sam FM, that's a thing. Ended up getting a job there. Did quite well there. Um, but Radio 1, it would sit next to my bed, and Radio 1 was was, was my bedroom. It was where I felt very vulnerable at times, very safe at others. But it was always there. And that's where my earlier point about radio being a community is a thing, no matter what level you're broadcasting at. You're there supporting people and enjoying moments with people, whether you're soundtracking a barbecue or, by chance... You're the person talking to the person who's stuck on the M6 and has been in the tailback for ages. Every scenario under the sun. And for me, it was... My community was being protected by music. And particularly Annie Nightingale, Kissy Sellout, Kutsky, Annie Mack and Nick Grimshaw on a Sunday night. <sighs> Um, Chris Moyles, especially um, Dave Vitti, Dominic Byrne, Tina Dahili, the current guy who runs Radio 1, who is amazing at how he's powered that station to be something that can support people, is Alan Hayden-Jones, who used to produce for Chris Moyles. And... And last year, I worked for him. And on the nights where it was the longest, and I'd go to bed and wouldn't really be in bed, but I'd lie there and I'd have my eyes closed, but I couldn't sleep. But I was like, if you have your eyes closed, maybe you'll eventually get to sleep. And, um... And, yeah, I just like that, eyes closed. Radio 1 would get me through the night. And it's always about that community. And some nights where it was really bad, I'd make it all the way through to Christmas in the morning. And I'd always know it was 6.30, because I try my hardest not to check my phone. I'm bad at it now if I wake up at the night, but it's <laughs> thankfully, thankfully I can sleep now. Um, But I know it would be 6.30 in the morning when I'd hear the Christmas song. And... I mean, to some extent, it feels like it could have been an achievement. Oh, I've made my whole way through Radio 1 for a whole 24 hours. Especially overnight. Um, sometimes it felt like a failure. Oh, for fuck's sake, Seb, you haven't slept again and you've got to get up and go to school now and pretend everything's okay. But Radio 1 got me through that. And that's where I really fell in love with radio and music, and particularly new music. Because... Whilst we love those throwbacks that we like grew up to or 
like was shown by her parents for example Jamie I know you're obsessed with Billy Joel and it's a bit weird <laughs> um, that we uh, like for me that feeling of hearing something new in the middle of the night was so special mm. um, and it made me realise I want to be part of that community that's helping bring people together because I've been in that community from the other side of things where I'm being comforted and protected by the people leading the way which is why radio means so much to me and radio one in particular because my brain said if I'm gonna do this I've got to get there that's where I've got to be I've got to be in that studio <laughs> talking to the kid who can't sleep The kid who's thinking about doing stupid things and not having the opportunity to reach their dreams because at that point in time, things that felt like the better thing to do. And so I look at that, like their logo or anything they post. And I feel so immensely proud that more than anything, I battled my demons. <laughs> and okay, every now and then they appear. And the moment they're trying their fucking hardest to make me stop talking. But also, that I set myself a challenge, a goal. And I haven't just currently done it once. I've been able to do it twice because my first ever time in a radio studio when it was when I was oh god I can't remember how old I was but Radio 1 I don't know if it was Alad's idea but Alad as I said Alad Hayden Jones who's current man in charge of Radio 1 controller program director whatever you would like to call him content creator commissioner <laughs> Um, he was a big part of something called Access All Areas, where essentially Radio One's aim for a month, I think it was, was to bring down the veil, bring down the showbiz edge of what you expect radio to be. So they did radio shows where they left the mics live the whole time. And when I tell you, those mics are fucking sensitive in those studios. I could undo my shoelaces in those studios, and you'd hear it. Um... So set themselves challenges in that or they did a bit more video content or they did live streaming of a studio during a show or behind the scenes tours. And one thing was you could apply to go to a radio studio in New Broadcast House in London. They're brand new ones on the eighth floor at the time and record an hour of whatever you wanted. Now, having grown up listening to all of those overnight presenters on Radio 1 and having a huge love for drum and bass and being able to DJ, I applied saying, I want to come and do a drum and bass podcast. I want to come and do an hour's worth of drum and bassing in Radio 1, essentially. And I can't bloody believe it. But they rang me back. And I got that opportunity to go in. But me being me, I couldn't just do it on my own. So I took all my mates that I could. I wanted to take 12 people with me. And they had to tell me that wasn't quite possible. So I took six. 
We just halved it. Anyway, we recorded that hour of radio. Um, got to interview Friction, who's one of the biggest drum and bass presenter, uh, producers, DJs in the world. And I left that room having worked with Alan Hayden Jones, who at the time was the producer for the Christmas Breakfast Show on Radio One, now the guy who runs the place. And I left there going, Wow, this was what what a treat this was. I need this to be my job. And I remember how I felt leaving that building. I felt immense sadness. Because when I was in that studio, I was in my bedroom, talking to that kid who couldn't sleep. Um, so then perseveres the challenge of getting my own radio show, which brought me to Summer Valley FM. And then as time goes by, wanting a job in radio, which took me to Sam FM, care of one of my closest friends, Pete Helmore. Um, and building on that over and over, trying to get experience in places. But at the same time, my brain went, it's all well and good networking, but that's not a strength of mine. I, I have issues with confidence, so I'd rather be in one place for a long time and get bloody good at what I'm doing. So I spent three and a half years, I think, working for free at Sam FM. No contract, nothing. It was very illegal. Um, <laughs> and and hopefully if I get to somewhere in my career that I aim to be at, it's one of my goals to help combat within the industry, which is how difficult it is to get one of the very few paid internships. I understand that paperwork's paperwork needs to do it, but the amount I applied for, particularly being dyslexic, doesn't help. But it was very, very tough to figure out what you needed to say without knowing. Because when you're already in a role, you know what you're expecting to see. But if you're brand new to an industry and you want to be part of that, but you've got no idea, how the hell are you meant to know? Hmm. It's like asking a goose to do the 10 times table it's the easiest one but they're not going to understand it so I stayed put and then got a job through that way and then that led to me being uh, or the company I worked for that owned Sam FM Cellular Radio being bought by Bauer which led to me work with Grace Hits Hits Radio behind the scenes but also being furloughed from that job which got me into daytime presenting which got me good enough to do a demo for Radio 1 and when applying for the Christmas presenter search, somehow, again, getting a phone call saying, hey, Seb, do you want to come in and do some recording with us, please? And it's insane to think that's how it happened. And then again, for a second time, I was back in my bedroom talking to the kid who... Couldn't sleep at night, even though I, at that point in time I thought it was just a pilot to see if I'd fit in. <laughs> and um, that led to me presenting Radio 1 Breakfast, or the Breakfast Time Band, though not officially Breakfast, on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, 2021 into 2022. And then having a call with Alad, because I was made up after that cover of A Christmas... I sat in the studio staring at the Radio 1 level, uh, Radio 1 logo, going, 
wow, you've done this. You've done it again. And this is where you've always wanted to be. You've always wanted to do this show. You've always wanted to be on this station. But actually on this station, I wasn't just recording some audio that a 15-second snippet got played on the radio. I was presenting, in total, eight hours of radio across two days. And (laughs) had a proper mess up in the middle of one of the shows, but overcame it and recovered like a like you should with every mistake you make, um, and particularly as a good re- presenter should make. And then a week later, I had a call from Alad, or arranged a call with Alad, because I genuinely thought he was just going to say, yeah, this is this was good. In the future, work on this, and maybe one day you'll be back. That call, I, I and I received that call in the room next to where we're recording this. Um the tiny little box room office here at Summer Valley FM. And the internet, if you are a member of the station, you will know is not the best. (laughs) So I was trying to use our dodgy Somerset Wi-Fi mate to talk to one of the most influential people of my career ever. Someone, I mean, I'd love to potentially work for Radio 1 again one day. If I don't, I've, at least I've done it, and I'll always, always hold... Sorry, you can hear mine and my dog scratching himself in the background. Um, I'll always, always hold Allard in such high regard for being so honest with me in that call because I had a million and one things to ask him but didn't because I just wanted to be told what he wanted me to do I just wanted to be told, like, what can I do to be back, essentially, is what I wanted. Because every presenter wants to be back on a national radio present- station once they've done it. Anyway, I was talking to me about potential listener numbers whilst I was on air. It was all such a whirlwind, along with lots of stuttering, because, of course, the internet was dropping out. Um, and various other radio things of how I enjoyed it, what I liked about it, if there's anything different that could be done. And then eventually just goes... Seb, I get this feeling I should stop fucking with you. And I was like, what does that mean? I was like, my brain goes like, what do you mean? Like, because I, I, I am someone who if you've got something to say, I'd rather you just say it, mm. even if it's going to piss me off. Um, and he just said, I want you to come back and present early breakfast on a Friday for a month. And the first thing I said to him was, can I swear? <laughs> And naturally, he went, what, right now? Or on the radio? (laughs) (laughs) Or something on those lines. And went, right now? And he went, yeah, of course. And I literally span round in the spinny chair, similar to what I'm sat in now, and just went, fuck! Like that. Just out of nowhere. Um, And then the Wi-Fi connection really, really dropped. Um, And so the last line's were quite brief in the phone call where it's just like, right, email me when you're available within the next six months and I'll make it happen. And before I knew it, I was back in Radio 1, this time presenting for a month what was my own show and trying my absolute hardest to fit in and being someone who feels, although in the studio, I was once again 
talking to that kid who couldn't sleep. Studio 82F, uh, Radio 1. Felt like a second home to me. I Genuinely, it felt like the most comfortable I've ever been in my life. Working directly with a team of producers to help me improve every day or talking to the presenters that you'd bump into there before you'd leave because bear in mind you're in very early anyway. And genuinely being in one of the best workplaces I've ever been where you can see that everyone who's working on the eighth floor at New Broadcasting House, or at least the impression I got of it, is well aware it is such a privilege to be there. Everyone at Radio 1 made me feel like I belonged there. Which, to the kid who struggled with a lot of things, really, really resulted in me feeling at home. Even though me feeling at home in that environment back at last April was me sometimes sitting there quietly in the corner of the live lounge, just observing, kind of smiling weirdly at Greg James and his producers, and they're like, who let that guy in? Um, that's what it was for me. I again, managed to achieve that for a third time. And that's what the Radio 1 logo really means to me. It's achievement. And it's the fact that if you really, really put your mind to something, no matter what you've been through, no matter where you are at that point in time, you you really can make it happen. And at the moment... I think about the logo, I think about memories of like Big Weekend and hanging out with people I never thought in my world I'd come across. Or the fact that doing that's led me to be very, very privileged in being quite regularly at the moment used on Hits Radio for cover on drive time shows or breakfast shows on Rock FM and stuff like that. And to think... That was just all a pipe dream at one point. Now it's becoming reality bit by bit because, as, as I said earlier, I'm still building things. Whilst it's achievement, it's also aspiration to look forward and really keep improving with the aim of being back one day and being good enough to be back one day. Kind of, I, I don't know, maybe this is this weird blockage in my brain, a wall of, like, trying to stay neutral enough that you don't, accidentally come across as your favourite in one place because I know saying this this whole whatever last several hours I've been going on for <laughs> seems to stem around one radio station but because I love working at Hits when I work at Hits um, the people I've met there Joe, Brad, um, Alec, um, Tom Green, Hattie I mean I could name every bloody presenter on the station they've been wonderful people um, same with the people that work at Rock FM and the same with the people that I've met at other stations that I'm yet to be on, but I've had meetings with. Everyone has been amazing. And it sounds easily like favouritism to really want. It's just simply because somehow everything I've done in my life, maybe I've just got Stockholm Syndrome, I don't know, but everything I've done in my life has really really flexed around being at Radio 1 or doing something to do with them and enjoying their content or being part of their content 
And so, yeah, I look at that logo and the words that come to mind, ambition, goals, achievement, perseverance, pride in myself. It took a long time for some members of my family to realise what I was trying to achieve. Part of the reason why I learned how to make cocktails as well, because at least I can get a job in the bar if everything goes to shit. Um, but it, a lot of things fully fell in line, and it helped me prove a lot of things to some people. I mean, there's one person who unfortunately passed away before I could prove anything to them. Um, and it's about knowing that whatever gets you through those days that are so tough you can use to help others do exactly the same and it genuinely makes me so so I don't know I mean when I'm sat in front of you kind of curling up because I'm feeling quite vulnerable but I feel so much lighter now having got a lot of that off my chest because now going back to an earlier point with the milkshakes and acknowledging things. I've fully acknowledged what I've done, how far I've come. Granted, I've still got a long way to go, and acknowledging it right now has resulted in me knowing and being happy, knowing that I'm in that right direction. Not wanting to kind of go down the route of why podcasts can help people. Ha ha, look at this. Um... <laughs> Has this kind of helped you open up, I guess, at least just this one conversation? Yeah. How how does it feel? What's going through your mind at the moment, then? It's... Oh, God, it's it's difficult to say. It, it It's very difficult to say. But... I... The phrase, the word phrase, whatever you want to say, call it, that is kind of just rolling around my head. I mean, even then, I've just thought about it, and then I was like, no, is that really the right way to put it? It's happiness. I feel very, very happy now, because just regardless of how you show happiness and achievement, like for example, I spent the last however long we've been recording a lot of it crying because a lot of it's been acknowledging and processing some bad things that have happened that resulted in the good things coming forward. But happiness, pride, it's it's absolutely amazing that I've managed to even, I mean, in this I might put your, lo- your logo of the podcast on my mental health shelf, Jamie, because... I've never been able to let go like that for a very, very ever. And that helps. Well, thank you for doing so. Thank thank you for having me, mate. Thank you. To round things off, Mm -hmm. shall we just go through your list one last time? What are the items on your mental health shelf? (laughs) Of course. Uh, We started with spaghetti bolognese. Then went on to milkshakes, specifically Oreo milkshakes, Green River Water, the Blaze Castle Estate, and the Radio One logo. 
You're smiling a lot as you kind of read that back. I, I presume that idea of happiness is still very much coming to mind. Yeah, it really is. And it's taken me a while to realise that's where I am right now. Seb, thank you very much for coming along. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Jamie. And sorry for how difficult that edit's going to be. <laughs> And there we have it, the mental health shelf of Seb Bailey. I don't quite think that either of us thought the conversation would go in the direction that it did when we started recording. I think we knew it would be something a little bit different to what we usually do on the radio, which is more of a light-hearted, kind of slightly freewheeling conversation. Um, As I said at the start, I sing a song about how he lives on a boat at the start of each one of them. We knew this would be a little bit different, but I don't quite think we saw it going in the direction that it eventually went down, particularly as I initially posed this to him, as 45 minutes to an hour, and it was an hour and 43 minutes. But sometimes people do kind of just need to talk. They need that space and someone to listen, and also just to get things off their chest or to be able to verbalise something, which is always you know, very, very difficult, particularly when it comes to stuff that might be playing on your mind or has been for a considerable amount of time. And obviously if there are some traumas or stuff that's been with you for a long time or certain things that you're still dealing with or, you know, some people may have bottled stuff up or buried it, it is good to let that out by talking to people, those around you. But particularly when it comes to something like traumas or stuff that's been with you for a long time, but also just, you know, general things that are on your mind, it may be worth, as many people tend to recommend, looking into some form of professional help, some form of therapy so that you can perhaps more properly deal with it find some form of development and also understanding of what's on your mind why you may be thinking and feeling certain things always a recommended route from many many people of course that kind of line i know that seb said there kind of jokingly in the conversation who knew jamie skinner would be my therapist i am not a therapist i'm not a professional in absolutely any way and i doubt i ever will be but still as i said i think he needed that space to talk but Also to kind of just acknowledge himself and the things that he's done, which in a way we all kind of need to do that sometimes. Just give ourselves space and recognition and just acknowledgement for the things that we've done, even if it is just after doing a small task or something and just go, yeah, that was good or I had a good time doing that, something like that. Just that small moment of recognition before you move on, because even sometimes we don't allow ourselves that. But still, I think the shelf that Seb came up with in the end very much sums him up rather well, and hopefully there was an interesting conversation there. Difficult second episode, I don't think as much as I might have initially thought. Yes, there was a longer edit, but then again, I don't overly mind editing. It's not that you know I find it therapeutic or anything, I just kind of don't mind it. That and transcribing, usually things that I see people kind of complaining about, I don't overly mind them, I just kind of get on with it and think, yeah, this is all right. Anyway, enough of that ramble, enough of that tangent. Editing, it may have taken a bit longer, but I didn't overly mind. The thing that did get on my nerves was the fact that I could hear myself breathing into the microphone uh, throughout most of the conversation. That was what got on my nerves. If you heard that throughout the podcast, I'm very, very sorry, especially if it also got on your nerves. And if you didn't hear it, I apologise for the unnecessary apology. I also apologise for all of these apologies. Anyway... If you did hear that, I'll try and limit it next time. Basically, make sure that it doesn't happen. Uh, But still, hopefully, that was an interesting conversation. Hopefully, you enjoyed the podcast. And I'll wrap it up now. Thank you to Seb for joining me. Thank you to you for listening. Please stay safe. And I'll be back next time with another guest and more items on a new mental health shelf.